Uh, if you've got a Bible, can you turn to the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29. And uh, we're starting a new series today, and it's touching on the areas of vision, calling, destiny, life, living life well. And I'm going to start with talking about personal destiny and living life well personally, and then we're, gonna, and we, we're kind of going to revisit some themes today that we've done in the past few years. But it's important that we do that because I want to set the scene for the weeks to come. And as well, then we're going to be talking about some church stuff and how we're developing and moving forward as a church because there's some exciting stuff going on. Um, but if you've got Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, uh, you will love this scripture. Fridge magnet territory. For I know the plans I have for you. Everybody say few. few. Say thank God. Because I didn't have a clue. Okay. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And this is, he's speaking into a time of trouble. Uh, they're not in their promised land. They're in a, a place of difficulty. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. We did that over the summer. God has plans to prosper you. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And here's my title for the next few weeks. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Say a hope and a future. Say it again, a hope and a future. Say it again, a hope and a future. Oh, you're saying it like Pentecostals now. I love that. That's great. Fabulous. God has plans to give you a hope and a future. Hope is so powerful. In Romans uh, 5, it is. It says this. Uh, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Anybody there yet? Glory in sufferings. I see the lack of hands. Um, we glory. This is Paul talking in Romans 5. If you're a note taker, it's verse 3 onwards. We glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope is really vital. When you lose hope, essentially you're losing everything. It's the air that we breathe. It's why you get it. If you lose hope, you will have no prayer life. If you lose hope, you'll struggle with your kids. If you lose hope, you'll struggle with your, with your career. If you, but hope says God is in control. Faith is that now thing that God's doing something in me now. Hope is that it'll be fine. The bill will get paid. I'll get healed. God will sort it out. I'll get married. I'll get remarried. I'll get whatever it is you need. God's going to bless my kids. They may have wavered for a bit, but they're going to come back to the Lord. Help says, uh, hope says, God is my helper and he's drawn into my world and he's going to make the crooked way straight because that's what he specializes in. And then it says, it says here, so where do we get hope from? God has plans to give us a hope and a future. It's saying, <laughs> you're going to love this, um, I think. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope doesn't come from Bible reading. Hope is an expression of our character. It sits in a character. Now, it's not that we want, you know, don't be a character, have character, right? <laughs> um, when we have character, we have hope. In other words, it's talking about hope is quite a mature thing. And, and character comes from persevering through suffering. Is that what the scripture's saying here? You're with me? Don't go all cinema on me. You can amen me all you want. I'll preach better. You'll have a great morning. Suffering produces perseverance. So when I go through stuff and I persevere it, I get character. And then in that place is where I find hope. So here's the thing to take hope about. You, we go through stuff. Anybody going through stuff right now? 
Yeah, right, you might want to put two hands and a foot in the air, and if you didn't fall on your butt, you want to put the other one in, your hair, in the air at the same time. Because we go through stuff, and it's all this. He works all things together for good, whether he sent it or not. And please don't for a moment think that everything that happens is what he sends. Life is kind of broken and kind of a mystery, but we do know this. Out of it all, he's going to make someone strong and Christ-like of us, and in that place, we'll have hope. So actually, strangely enough, the suffering that you're going through is going to bring you not despair, but hope. It is going to make you stronger. Keep trusting in him. Keep looking at him. Because as you go through stuff, you will become stronger and you will be a hope-filled person. You show me someone that hasn't gone through stuff and I'll show you someone with theoretical faith. But show me someone who's gone through stuff. Then the next time they go through it, they go, well, he got me through that. He'll get me through this. Well, he got me through that and he'll get me through this. Well, he got us through that and he got me through this. Well, he healed me of that and he'll heal me of this. Right? And as you go through stuff, you're becoming Christ-like. Never be afraid. You are becoming Christ-like. And he will use everything and he is over everything and in charge of everything. And from his fullness, as you go through life, you will receive grace upon grace, upon blessing, upon blessing, upon gift, upon gift. And you will come out saying, now I'm a character. Now I've got hope. And you'll, you'll be the kind of spitting sawdust person that looks difficult things in the eyes and laughs and goes, don't worry. God's like, you, you, you talk to an Edie Kirby. And she just looks stuff in the eyes and go, well, the Lord is my helper. Is it someone who's been through stuff and gone, well, he helped us with that. He'll help us with this. He helped us with that. He'll help us with this. You get hope filled. So maybe you're going through your first big thing or your second big thing. And you haven't quite attuned to the fact yet that seasonally we seem to go through stuff. You haven't caught on quite yet, but catch it. It's one of the great Uh, season uh, uh, adjustments of life when we notice this he gets me through he gets me through he gets me through all the time why why do I go through stuff because I live in a broken world why does he get me through to reveal himself he shows me his name and he showed me his name and he showed me and funnily enough you know when I was all happy and clappy and dancy I thought I knew him but I didn't but when I was in the dark and in tears, and full of shame, and his grace really came to brokenness. I knew God. So hope comes out of dark times. Don't think he's out to make you hopeless. He's just using this broken world to make you glorious. That's what he does. And so we're building people that can really live God lives, right? Who wants to be that? I want to be that. But that just means going through stuff and, and learning stuff. And uh, A few of us were away uh, the week before last. We were doing a leadership development thing. And um, there was a, a, an American pastor there. And he, he's got a church, a large church on one of the, or next to one of the American military bases. And it's one of the bases that's got Delta Force in it and all these other kind of high-end American troops. And he's got five-star generals in his congregation and stuff like that. In fact, on his trip over to see us, he sits down in the plane, taking the flight to come over here, and there is the second most powerful soldier in America sat next to him, and he just tapped the pastor on his arm and said, good word this morning, pastor. He'd been in church. 
Anyway, this pastor uh, walks up to a group of us. We were, we were sat outside. It was sunny, and, um, and he was going to come and spend a little bit of time with four, four of the leaders from Revive. We were there doing this leadership development stuff, and he walked up, and he was there with his son, who must have been in his early 30s. And as he walks up, he stops, and he stops his son, and he sees the four of us. And then he points, and I'm, I'm sorry, Chris, but then he, he points to, to Steve Green, and he points to me, and he says, and he says to his son, Jonathan, what are those two? What do they look like? And Jonathan said, Delta Force. <laughs> and Steve and I went like this. Yeah. And we're like, really? He said, yeah, yeah, these guys aren't six foot two. They're five foot ten. And I'm like, I'm five foot ten. I stayed seated at that moment. I'm five foot ten. Yeah. <laughs> Ish. You know, shades on, shirt, jeans, and, and, you know, generally not huge, more wiry. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wiry. So. And he said, you guys look like Delta Force. And Steve and I strutted for the next. Well, I'm still strutting now, to be honest. <laughs> Delta Force, watch out with my shades on and all that kind of thing. The only problem with, if he had seen me with something like a spider. <laughs> Who knows you can look the part but not have built the life? And we all know it doesn't matter what we look like, it's what's inside us is where the strength is. We can look delta, but as soon as we face something, we realize, hey, I'm in kindergarten on the inside. I don't, I don't know what was missing in my development or what I've not quite got a hold of and corrected or developed, but I need to grow on the inside. And I want to talk about the laws of destiny that we need to grow on the inside in order for us to truly broaden who we really are. I'm reading a... Uh, I finally got the date right. I told several people it's a seven, eight hundred year old book. It's actually a five hundred year old book by Saint Teresa of Avila, a Catholic nun. So you've got to know, you know, what bits to go. That's good, and, and other bits are interesting. But it's this book called The Interior Castle. We've got to build an interior castle because really that's where life is lived. It's in the interior castle that we meet with God. That's why in a church service, two people sat together, same songs, same sense of God, and one's in heaven, one's in hell. Nothing to do with the environment, all to do with whether we're falling apart on the inside or whether we've built a castle. So I'm going to give you the walls of your castle this morning. I'm going to do it very briefly. They're not particularly new things. Like I say, this is a revisit and a recap before we launch into some new stuff. But I want to give you some walls to your castle because when you build the castle, of character, you will have a hope and a future. Okay, so we're just going to go through some, and, and we're, it's not going to take long on each one. I, I hope not anyway, because uh, we got not got that long. So here's, here's the first one. The first law, the first wall you need to build in your life to understand how destiny works is you need to build a wall of foundation. You need to build a foundation in your life. In his newsletter, Leonard Ravenhill tells about a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village who walked by an old man sitting beside a fence. In a rather patronizing way, one tourist asked, were any great men born in this village? The old man replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> We're all born at foundation level. Getting the foundation right to our lives is absolutely foundational to living well. 
And it's sad, isn't it, when we get to, I don't know, 40 and 50 and we're, we're scraping back into our foundation saying, you know what, I left a bit of my rebellious teens and I never rebuilt it. I kind of thought it was cool and, it, you know, it was funny when I was 17 and then I got away with it in my 20s. But now in my 40s, I'm still disconnected and scared of authority because I never dug into the foundation of who I am. And now at 50, it's stealing from me. This foundational stuff that we need to go, right, I've got to get this, this unsexy stuff, this not exciting stuff right in my life. Nobody goes, ooh, lovely foundation. But if it isn't there, crooked foundation, crooked house. There are things that we just have to get right, and it's hidden, and nobody sees. And sometimes only hiddenness really fixes it. And we kind of remain overlooked and dealing with issues until we right, I want this dealt with. If not, everything I build on it will fall or be skewed. Mark 7, 24, it says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is like a wise man. You've got to hear and practice, not just hear. Like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. But it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The rock of the practices of Jesus. I've got to hear him and then adjust my life. So many times I've looked at lives, they've been in the same meetings as everyone in this room, and I've gone, but you're not adjusting your foundation. You're not changing your practices. You're interacting in the same way. You're behaving in the same way. You're, you're looking at money in the same way. Let's get back to the foundation. We're looking at authority in the same way. Back to the foundation. Looking at relationships in the same way. Let's come back and go, hang on a minute. Let's build a strong foundation. Because listen, if we take the Bible, then it becomes like a highway of holiness. Not some kind of hard to find over, overgrown path, but a highway. And we can walk with hope and go, I know where I'm going. I know who I'm trusting. I've built my life on the rock of how he thinks. I'm not going to make a God of how I think. I'm going to make a God of how he thinks. And then we find when we build with the laws of heaven, great things happen. Your practices Create a foundation. James has this wonderful phrase. Listen to it. Let patience do its perfect work. It's like patience is a, is a person coming into your life going, right. And we can, who, who likes patience? Thank you, both of you. That's fantastic. It's like, but God comes to our lives sometimes. He's right, I'm going to address this. And I'm not going to take the restriction off until it's addressed. Let patience do its work deep in our lives. Amen? Things have to grow in us. I, I said the other week at the day conference, uh, I love the statement or the question somebody put, what's the difference between a prophet and a prophetic ministry? And the answer was fantastic. The person said, about 25 years usually. <laughs> Some things just take time. Yeah. Some people want to be a prophet. They haven't yet become a man. Yeah. We want to take cities. They haven't beaten the kitchen sink yet. You know, I say, I say to 22-year-old men, you know, I want to be a prophet. Just be a man first. Be, 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 be well-mannered. Be a good husband. Yeah. Be, be, yeah. be, be a, a good wife. Pick up your socks after you. Keep, keep, don't say anything, Vicky. Pick up your socks after you. <laughs> Forget ministry well or career well. Live well. Yeah. Live well. Grow up. Be broad. Become a man. Become well-mannered. Become kind. Become selfless. Forget anointing. Kindness beats anointing usually. Just become kind. 
and develop as a man, and then we can start to think about becoming a prophet or a pastor or a preacher or a great career man. Become a man. Get the foundation right. Stop being snotty with people. It will not go well with you. But build a foundation of how to interact with the world and hope suddenly comes. It's amazing just changing how we say things. Listen, the, the world revolves on conversations. Sometimes just how we teach ourselves to speak opens a million doors. And we go, wow. How we speak. How we think of others. The law of foundational process. Get all those hidden things sorted. Without it, we lose hope. Here's the second one. The law of baptism. We live a Christian life that works when immersed. Dabbling with the faith never works. Gives us a frustrating kind of, well, it never quite works like they say from the platform kind of Christianity. Dabbling doesn't work. We are are not sprinkling Anglicans. We are immersing Pentecostals. And we hold them under as long as possible, right? We do that because that was was the biblical way. There's a history behind why the Anglicans do what they do, but we we haven't got time for that this morning. But so in the time of Christ, in the time of John the Baptist, they would immerse. Listen, we're meant to be baptized in this. Now, that, by that, I don't mean that we're giving our lives volunteering on every rotor in the world that comes up in the church. Some of us have such busy careers. You can't volunteer everywhere. It's not that. It's this. So the only way to immerse yourself in the faith with Christ is if you immerse your career with you. Immerse your bringing up your children with you. Draw God into all of it. Go to work not saying, well, this is secular now, so I don't need to pray. I don't need to draw God in. This is that world, and I've got my church Sunday world over here. No, 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 no. Go to work going, it's my mission field. I'm praying for promotions. I'm praying for influence. I'm the kingdom guy in the place. I'm praying for God connections. I'm praying that I can have great conversations. Draw God into your business deal. Say, God, open up doors. Make me the most blessed guy in the firm. Draw God into your world. Because the only way this life works is by immersion. I don't have a version of Christianity to preach you from this pulpit that says, well, how little can we get away with and still get to heaven? I just don't have that version in the Bible to preach to you. I wish I could tell you how few days you could go to church and get away with. I wish I could tell you how close to sin we can get and drive nearby. But I don't have it. I have a Christ who said, give up everything. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Become immersed in it. The Apostle Paul was a prisoner of Nero. But he wrote in one of his letters, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I mean, Nero didn't have anything on him. He was a prisoner of Christ. Are you Christ's prisoner? Whether you're in in church work, whether you're in a career, whether you're bringing up children, be Christ's prisoner. I'm drawing God into my world to help me with my kids and sickness and remembering this. And I'm drawing God into my career. When he starts to flood everything, all this makes sense. It's the law of baptism. We live in an immersive culture. The only way this works is to be 100%. To say, God, I need all of you in all of me, in my life. Baptize yourself in. Amen? Amen. Uh The third one, the law of repentance. Oh, these are cheerful, aren't they? The law of, you know, uh, repenting will never go out of fashion. And we'll never stop preaching it from our pulpits. Because it just means turn around and change. 
There will never be a place or a time where we don't need to change. Anybody on board with me with that one? I'm going to be changing till the day I die. When, I, when I'm 80, 90, 130 years old, still up here preaching. Some of you won't be here. <laughs> I'll still be naughty on my stick. Come on. <laughs> we won't still be in the cinema, don't worry. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Uh, what am I, uh, you know. I, you, know, you, you might be 110 in this room. You're probably not, but you might be 110 in this room. In about a million years' time, you'll go, I wasn't old, was I? I was very young. Yeah. I was still learning. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll look back and go, I wish I'd kept changing. Yeah. Not topped out at 45. Well, this is as good as it gets. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. You're not an old dog. I don't know, is that funny? I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> Repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn to God. Acts 3.19, if you're a note taker. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Notice he did it on the cross, but you turning draws it into your world. See, he wiped out your sins. You take them to him and say, okay, I'm, I'm putting this under the river of the water and the blood. So I'm, I'm getting rid of that. That your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen to this, Proverbs 30 verse 12. There's a class of people who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from their own filth. In our independent age, it's easy to think, well, I'm okay. Maybe sometimes we preach grace too much. I don't know. I, I'm the kind of personality that airs on the side of, oh God, fix me, break me, change me. You know what I mean? I, as Evan Roberts preached that sparked off the Welsh revival, he prayed rather, bend me, Lord, bend me. That's my personality. So I find it easy to preach grace because I'm always out to change. Sometimes I do think perhaps some are on the other side. I don't need to change. We do need to change. He's committed to making us like Christ. And right down to my innermost thoughts, I know I'm still too ego-driven. Any, anybody with me? Still uh, not, not pure enough. Still too prone to try and wheedle out of stuff. Still a little bit too lazy. Still a little bit too angry. Still, I'm just, I'm not up 45. Can you believe it? I, I'm not the man I want to be. God, and I know the pathway to that is not me rolling around on the floor in tears. That's not what we mean by repentance, although there sometimes can be sorrow involved in it. But it's saying, God, I want to change. Yeah. I want to change that anger, that selfishness, that pride, that short temper, that whatever it is. I, I want to become more like Christ. And repentance does that. And I want to be washed from my filth. I don't want to be someone who thinks I, I can't be. Because listen, it is going to come out eventually. That's what normally happens in life. It comes out eventually. I told the story before. I used to have this little, I'd love to tell you I was a motorbike rider. And I, and I would have told this pastor who knew the Delta Force that I was a motorbike rider too. But the truth is I was a moped rider. And if he'd have seen me on that moped, my little red moped, he would have known, not Delta Force, no. No, Pansy Force, he would have gone. Panzer, I would have gone, no, Pansy, he said, you know. I was riding down one of the very few hills in, in Hull, following wind behind me, getting my, it was about maximum speed, 37 miles an hour. I was getting it up to the giddy heights of about 45 down a hill with a following wind. 
And then as I'm going down this, this, this hill that I'd bought with this motorbike that I'd bought from a friend, it snapped in two. So I'm riding down with just the handlebars and the saddle, and I'm going, you know, and uh, <laughs> underneath all this lovely red paint was rust. And when I got it up to speed, it fell apart. Yeah. This, this stuff that we leave, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> this, this stuff that we leave, because it isn't coming out now, I can get away with it. Yeah. Nobody's poking me about it. Nobody's shaming me about it. It's kind of the me and God thing. Got enough on my plate. Don't want to talk about that. But you know, God, God has, has us on his process and you want to go with the processes of God because inevitably there comes a day when our life gets up to speed and things start to rattle and we go, well, that didn't rattle before. And we need to deal with the rust under the paint. Oh, come on, God, get, get right into me. And, and don't, don't be all self-involved and spend your life looking at your navel. When stuff comes up, God will bring it up and neither be condemned. And think, well, I, I'm shamed into the point where I just can't find a way out. That's not God either. God is rather, let's deal with this now. This is, this is on the agenda. Not, ev not everything's on the agenda. I love you, by the way. Let's deal with this now. Yeah. And, and here's a way to bring you out of that and bring you into grace. And there's never shame involved. There's never public ridicule involved. Yeah. It's God and the kindness of God. And, 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 and if necessary, kind leaders who understand that we're all a bit broken and growing. Yeah. But the great thing is when it comes out, there's a cleansing. There's a time of refreshing that comes, wow. And all the shame goes away. Refreshing from the presence of God. Repentance. Be, be ready to repent. Another law. You're going to love me this morning. The law of humility. Yeah, just say, keep preaching, Jared. Can't just say that. Thank you. I need, I, need, I need the encouraging as I look at these titles. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Literally, God fights against the proud. I don't ever want to be someone that God fights against. Anybody? I want to be on the other side. He gives grace to the humble. That's who I want to be. So God, help me to stay humble. I love this quote. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In our self-obsessed age, it's just thinking of others, thinking of God. Instead of thinking all the time of me, myself, mine, I. The law of humility says, God, I'm not God. That's all it says. You are. I humble myself before you. The law of team. You never get away from the fact that we need to be drawn into community. One of the first things in the book of Genesis about this, the Bible says that phrase, it's not good for man to be alone. Say it's not good. Ladies, would you look at the man nearest you and say, not good? Because it's before woman came along. In fact, woman was the solution to the problem. As with always. Wisdom is a she in the Bible. Men, we're not good on our own. The socks pile up in the corners. The TV overheats with the football. It's not good to be alone. We were designed to be in community. Uh, and just very, very briefly, we were designed. Psalm 92 talks about being planted in the house of the Lord and growing old and staying green because we're planted in God's house. Don't be a pot plant that can move every time you're offended. 
I'm in a corner here. I don't like this one. I'll go over here. Listen, a seed has all the potential, but nothing happens until it goes down into darkness. That's scary. When it goes down into the soil, in the dark place, life begins to come. Watch me carefully. Until your life is planted into the dark soil of relationships. Why do I say dark soil? Well, some of us in our foundation have an independence. Perhaps a a fear of authority. Perhaps an individualism that we... Nobody tried to corral me with a crowd. So I, I don't want to go into the darker places of accountability. It feels dark to me. Don't try and drag me into a welcome lunch. Don't try and drag me into your system and onto your rotors. You know what I mean? Sometimes life can feel threatening. I don't want to be a number. You're not a number. But you still have to go deep into the darkness of real relationships. And at first, they seem scary. Superficial's good. I'll come. I'll raise my hands. I'll sing the song, listen to the sermon, walk out. Nobody knows me. and Nobody's going to hold me accountable And nobody's going to really get to the deeper recesses of me. But listen, there's some things that only happen in darkness. It's like he polishes me into an arrow then puts me into the darkness of the quiver with other arrows. And somehow in that darkness, like a seed planted in the ground, something begins to sprout in that scary place that individualists hate. Don't want to have that depth. Something happens there. That's beautiful. It's what church is. It's open, true, real relationships. If all your friendships are outside the church and none of them in, this is just a preach and worship conveyor belt you come through. You're not yet building God's way. You want deep, rich relationships in all sorts of spheres, but you want deep. Christian relationships if this is your house be planted because there's grace in being planted that you never find while you're a seed on the shelf enjoying the songs you've got to be willing to go into the dark place that makes me nervous somebody might actually find out who I am what my past was what, what my whatever but when we go in deep This is what I've found in my own life. When you go deep, you find life you never dreamt could be. You find grace you never thought would come. Don't even just be on a rotor. Be rooted. Be rooted. Say, yeah, I'm letting someone get to me. And yeah, oh, oh, your roots are entangling with mine. That feels a bit uncomfortable. Your life is actually rubbing up against mine. I'm not sure I like that iron sharpens iron. You you mean you might actually confront me about my age old attitudes that I haven't kind of grown out my rebellion since I was 17 years old? Well, yeah, because listen, you want a hope and a future, don't you? I do. Then listen, in love, deal with the foundation. Become a man before you try to become a prophet. Let's deal with stuff. Let's get real. Because in those real places, that's where real grace is found. I'll be honest, in the song singing, sometimes it's pseudo grace. I feel a bit better, I'm a bit cheered up, and off I go. But it never goes very deep. For it to go deep in you, you have to go deep into it. And stuff begins to break out.
So my last one as I close is another law for life. It's the law of God's empowering presence and grace. You were designed to be carried by God. You weren't designed to worry. You were designed to put your worries onto Him. You were designed to trust, right? And as we get ourselves into a place where the presence of God can help us, He takes the weak and makes them strong. It's one of the laws of life. You're going to get to the end of your life and go, God did it. Wow. God, I kept putting myself in the place of grace. You know, the Bible shows us many sacraments. Say sacraments. Sacraments are are a means of acquiring grace because all this is lovely theory. How do we make it work? They're lovely pictures, Jared. You've got plants, you've got waterfalls, you've got animals, you've got frolicking in the fields, whatever. Can you talk real life for a minute? How do I access who God is in my earthly world? Well, they're called sacraments. They're moments and mechanisms that when we mix trusting God with them, they're a moment which grace comes into our life. The most obvious one is communion. That's why we have communion in our small groups and in our small teams. We take communion regularly. Because it's a moment when we stop and we say, Jesus, you set up this little very earthly mechanism. But if we mix faith with it, somehow grace comes into my heart. But listen to these others. Stuff like meditating on the word of God is a means of bringing grace into my life. Joshua was told it will make your way successful. The confession of sin is a sacrament. As we confess and bring it to God, it's a moment when, whoa, grace comes into my life. And we walk away more upright knowing the sense of heaven again. Sometimes anointing with oil or the laying on of hands, it's a kind of grace. Tithing is a sacrament. When we give, it says the floodgates of heaven are opened. It's a mechanism that we can understand. That's not just mystery. I do this and trust at the same time, and then God does something. It's a mechanism. Worship is a means of acquiring grace. And lastly, because it connects with what I've just said before, Christian community and great conversation. You ever thought of great conversation is a means of acquiring grace? Some people you talk to, you, you acquire other stuff. So be careful who you talk to. Build well. But when you build well, you'll know there's some conversations I have that I, I talk and I get grace from heaven from that. Ephesians talks about talking in such a way that builds each other up. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 it is. It says conversation imparts grace. Everybody say wow. Say it backwards. Build sacraments into your world. Ways you go right. I'm coming to church because it's a sacrament. I'm having a meal with good spiritual Christian friends. It's a sacrament. I'm meditating on the word, it's a sacrament. I'm worshiping, it's a sacrament. I'm conversing with mature believers, it's a sacrament. In that moment, grace is imparted to my heart. Build well. Deal with the foundation issues. Let, let, let Be rooted in the house of God and let your roots go out deep into the lives of others. Deal with our pride and our sin. Guess what? It's not just, oh, well, I'm clean now and holy. I'm a good boy. God's patting me on the head. No, no, no. Something happens inside in that interior castle. Every room becomes hope-filled. I'm living God's way. So I can expect 
God's blessing.